The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Reverend Galen McDowell, and I am the executive minister, senior assistant minister, and the director of the Johnny Coleman Institute at Christ Universal Temple. Today, I have a special guest. All my guests are special, but this guest is extra special. So today I have as my guest, the Reverend Shad Groverlin, who is the president of Unity Worldwide Ministries. How are you doing there, Reverend Shad? I'm fantastic. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing, doing well. And I have a whole bunch of questions that I want to ask you today. But before we do that, if you could just, you know, briefly give a quick bio about, you know, who you are and your work and how you got involved in the Unity Movement. Okay. Well, I was born in Unity. My father's a Unity minister uh, with my mother and actually my sister today at Unity of Boulder in Boulder, Colorado. So I was raised in Unity and uh, had my own calling to ministry in 2012. Uh, got ordained, went on to minister at Unity of Las Vegas, and actually came back and ministered with my family at Unity of Boulder. Joined the Unity Worldwide Ministries Board of Trustees, was on that board for two years, and this position became available. And uh, various people asked me to apply. I had not been considering applying for the position. And so I stepped off of the board and applied for the position. And after a lengthy interview process, here I am. All right. That's beautiful, beautiful. So, um, you know, I don't want to waste any time getting to some of these really good questions I have today, because I believe that the conversation that we had, and just for the record, for those who are um, listening, we had we met at the International New Thought Alliance Congress at Christ, that which was being hosted at Christ Universal Temple, and I saw his presentation. And after the presentation, I had to meet him. I had to know who he was because I was so impressed by his presentation on spiritual healing. And then we met up in Unity Village when I was at the Celebrating Our Soul conference, and we just had breakfast or really you know, a smoothie and coffee, and. You know, and we basically solved the world that morning. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know why we're here. We're done. I know the work is already finished. You know, it's like you know, as as, as it says in the in the book of Genesis. You know, it was good and very good. <laughs> <laughs> done and done. Yes, exactly. So you know, 
I guess my first question would be, what is unity? Yeah, that's a that's a great question that we're doing a lot of uh, thought around. And uh, so we actually, in the early 2000s, we had a, a volunteer team of ministers work on answering that exact question. And they did a lot of polling of the ministries in our movement, uh, the ministers themselves. They reached out to individuals to get their feedback. The team wordsmithed it. I'm sure you've ever worked with a team. There's a lot of wordsmithing involved. Then I'll read you what actually they came up with, and I still agree with today, and it stated this. Unity is a positive, practical, progressive approach to Christianity based on the teachings of Jesus and the power of prayer. Unity honors the universal truths in all religions and respects each individual's right to choose a spiritual path. That's what they came up with, and uh, not many people even know about that today because we don't necessarily do a good job of, you know, bring it into the conversation over and over again. I think they did a phenomenal job. I think they addressed the Christian aspects of our roots. They ad- addressed our openness that people are allowed to choose. We don't say you have to be in unity or you have to be a part of new thought. We let you choose what you're going to choose. They did hit some key points there. I think they did a great job. But uh, for fundamentally for me in my life, what is unity? Uh, and it's only my perspective is I feel that unity is the Christianity that Jesus Christ intended to be going into the world today. And, you know, it did its own twist and turns for a couple thousand years. But when I think, and again, just from my perspective, I don't say for everyone else, but I would see it as the Christianity that Christ intended. Yes, I love that. I remember when I first came to Christ Universal Temple and we're a UFBL church, Universal Foundation for Better Living. But Reverend Coleman was originally a unity minister before she created her own mm-hmm. uh, a denomination, I would say, within New Thought, probably the best way of saying it. Mm-hmm. organization but the theology is exactly the same she didn't change one iota uh, when it came to the theology and she would just refer to it as practical christianity which i'm going to deal with later but that was the term that i would hear a lot you know it was like okay always come back to this term always come back to this term and so you know for her saying new thought or saying practical christianity was basically saying the same thing Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's an interesting thing. So, um, you know, I did have a question about is unity is unity Christian, but I think t- to your definition, you're saying unity is Christian. Uh, I don't know necessarily uh, if everybody within the New Thought movement or Unity would agree with that conversation or that statement. Uh, what is your opinion on on unity being a Christian? Uh, or metaphysical Christian expression of uh, uh, within the umbrella of Christianity? Yeah, I mean, if you ask 600 unity ministers that question, you're going to get 600 different answers. And only probably a few of them would sound relatively the same. And the fascinating thing is that our founders, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, struggled with this question the very first day they started this movement because they did see themselves as Christian from my perspective and, and what I've read of them and the issues they were having, but they were never accept, accepted among the Christian leadership at that time as being Christian. And they were called out that, you know, you guys can't call yourself Christian. You're not. You don't follow the fundamental tenets of Christianity. Therefore, you can't be. The film art was saying, well, no, we, we have an expanded concept of Christianity, but we're still Christian. It doesn't make us any less Christian. 
And so they came up with the 32 statements of faith at that time to list out, you know, this is how we are Christian. And if you look at those statements, I mean, it's very Christian language. And if you look at the writings of our founders, there's very much Christian language, and it's rooted in the Bible, and it's rooted in the teachings of Jesus. And so to try to even surgically remove the Christian aspects of unity from unity, you'd be left with very little of anything at that point of what is unity. So for me, you know, people can debate about it, but when I look at core of unity, we are undeniably Christian. We're not the Christianity that people recognize in the world today as evangelical or fundamental Christianity, what people like refer to. But that doesn't mean we are not still Christian. You know, for in many ways, like you said, metaphysical Christianity, that's been around since Jesus' time and Jesus passing on. This concept of metaphysical Christianity and practical Christianity, it was happening. It's just, just not the, the form of Christianity that got legs. The Roman Catholic Church got involved. Others got involved. What got legs? was not the Christianity that we had, we were working on, but uh, is what we see more often in the modern world today. That doesn't mean that that wasn't still there, there wasn't still an element of that. So in many ways, we are going back to that core group that really was doing deep dive in the teachings of Jesus to live the life Jesus had lived, not to just talk about the life that Jesus had lived. So yeah, for me, I think we are absolutely Christian. Uh, people shy away from that because that word has a concept to it, but I think it's our responsibility to redefine what that words mean. And for some people, adding metaphysical Christian or practical Christian does help with that process. Yes. You know, it's funny to me as you were talking, I had a flashback. And wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, how far back are we going? Uh, probably about 18 years. Okay. So um, I've been, I, I was licensed to teach in the UFBL in 97. So I've been teaching new thought for a while ordained in 2022 20, 2002 excuse me 2002 but i was preaching at cut since 2000 and uh so i was always around the ministry so i remember uh my grand my grandfather's my maternal grandfather's baby brother made his transition and if, i knew him very well so you know i when i showed up to you know support my family far as the service was concerned, I walked in. And you ever notice that sometimes people just assume you're a minister when you walk into the room? I don't know how they know. Like, are you a minister? It's like the weirdest thing. He's like, you know, so I come yeah. in with my suit and tie on, but when, even when I don't, I think people energetically pick it up. Sure. So I walk into this Baptist church and as I'm uh, having conversations with people, my family, some of the, I could tell ministers and deacons of the church, that were in attendance just looked at me and they said, are you a minister? I said, yes, actually I am. How do you, how do you know? And they just laughed and they said, what church do you um, minister at? And I said, Christ Universal Temple. And they all stopped and they paused for a moment and they looked at me and they said, Johnny Coleman. And I said, yes. And they all stopped talking to me immediately. <laughs> so. So I think one of the challenges that comes into play with being a new thought Christian is not always being accepted by uh, the Christian brothers and sisters. And at the same time, our brothers and sisters on the metaphysical side are you're too Christian. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's trying to find that that sweet spot, because I've actually been told many times 
well, you're no, you're more new thought than you are a Christian. You, you don't need that framework to teach metaphysics. I say, I know I don't, but it's my base. Mm-hmm. It's where I can go a whole bunch of places, but my fundamental base is new thought Christianity. So it's just kind of interesting how, as you were saying, if you ask 600 unity ministers, are you Christian or not? That conversation, I think, is based upon sometimes various factors, including not always being completely included in either brand of Mm -hmm. the new thought or the Christianity. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it depends on what their experience has been. For a lot of ministers, they came up through the Christian church. Yeah. And if they're not there, then that's usually a sign they had some sort of experience that was not favorable in Mm -hmm. their life. So they left that church with a sour taste in their mouth and with a feeling that they wanted to distance themselves from that church. And their path may have led them to unity, and they have not necessarily addressed what that sour taste was. Right. And so there's still this aversion to the idea of being Christian because they're thinking of that church or their childhood or what they've seen in the news happening in the world today. They want to distance themselves from that. But for me, and I've been in that place sometimes in my life, but I think back, or I, I sometimes just imagine, Jesus Christ were to just arrive here today and found that people like us had an aversion to the teachings that Jesus Christ left us just because of what some organization did with it in between the time he was here and and came back in, how saddening that would be for that being to see that, you know, people's hair goes up in the back of the neck when they hear the term Jesus Christ, this beautiful anointed being that simply left us this incredible message that people dealt with and did what they did over time necessarily wasn't what Christ had intended, but to come back and hear people are adverse, have an aversion to that, how how saddening that would be for that essence, for that being. And so for me, it it rises me to a call that we need to fix that, Mm -hmm. that we need to heal that that sourness in people's mouth or that uh, adverse event they had in their childhood. We need to heal that. We also need to heal the messaging that the world is putting out there about uh, some of the things that Christianity has done to people. But I also don't want to forget, Christianity does amazing things in the world. Sometimes mm-hmm. we get caught up on few extremists or statements people make or corrupt ministers. By a lot of the organizations do wonderful, beautiful things. And that's really what I think we focus on that. That's where we'll find the similarities where we can work together, which I know right. the film was trying to do. They said, let's, let's talk about our similarities, not so much about our differences. Right, right. And I think sometimes it's easy just to go to the differences without figuring out how can we work together. Pre-pandemic, I was actually going to the local in Chicago. We have all uh, we have wards. They have, every ward has an alderman, the alderwoman. And in our ward, I would go to the alderwoman's office and I would meet with the ministers of our ward. And mm-hmm. I was the only New Thought minister there, Catholic priests. Obviously, evangelicals, Baptists, uh, you know, every every kind of Christian. And we would sit down and talk because here's the thing. Regardless of our religious flavor, we were dealing with the same issues. The people had the same issue. Mm-hmm. You know, people want work. People have health issues. People have relational issues. Uh, people don't want crime in their neighborhoods. People want to feel safe walking down the streets. They want, you know, fair taxes. They want, you know, the things that everybody else wants. And depending on the neighborhood right. and circumstance that was connected to the to the ward, some of those things were more extreme in certain parts of the ward than others. 
Mm-hmm. But generally, our churches are dealing with the same issues. Mm-hmm. And, and that became the central thing for me as I would talk to them. Like, we're dealing with the same stuff. While you, right. we're debating about theology, somebody's hurting and needs us. Right. right. Basic human rights are vanishing, and we're here talking about <laughs> theology. Exactly. Exactly. So um, one of the things I really want to drill down on is why does spiritual slash mental healing still matter? Because let me just get, again give context. I was so impressed by your presentation at INTA that I actually sent your lesson when I found out that New Thought Media actually uh, posted it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I actually sent it to other New Thought ministers who were not in attendance. I said, look, you all need to listen to this because this, for me, it was a breath of fresh air because I'm, I'm, you know, such a purist when it comes to the healing process. And, you know, you've heard me tell my testimony, my listeners Mm -hmm. know about it already. So for me, there's no wiggle room around teaching it properly because a person's life can literally depend on it. So from your perspective, why does the spiritual healing the mental healing still matter, especially in unity and the larger New Thought movement. Oh, first of all, let me say I'm just flattered that you've said all those kind words, and I appreciate <laughs> that. That's, that's really awesome um, and humbling. Uh, fundamentally, I think it still matters because unity teachings, New Thought teachings, come back to taking your power back and that there's not an outside fix for an internal problem. And our founders talked at length about the idea that so much of what we're experiencing as physical illness, as relational illness, as uh, mental struggles, all these things are coming from an internal uh, issue that needs to be addressed. We don't believe in original sin, that you're, not, you're born broken, et cetera, et cetera. We don't believe in that. But we recognize that society does pack on these flawed thinking elements into our consciousness. And those outpicture in the body as illness or struggle, they outpicture in our finances as, as struggle, they outpicture in our relationships. So as long as the idea of mind is that we need some outside source to fix us, we are not addressing the inside issue that has created it, which is usually a thought. And we talk about a new thought. The foundation of new thought is that a new way of thinking will change your life, just changing the consciousness behind it. So when we talk about modern medicine, and I've heard people say that, well, now that we have modern medicine, what the Fillmore's were doing with mind healing, natural healing is basically irrelevant. Modern medicine can do all that for us. And I've heard statements like, you know, I, I do both. I do the prayer and the pill. And I've been starting to hear that more and more often. Pray and do the pill. And that's great. You know, some people need to do that. We need to do that at, at certain stages of consciousness. But ultimately, the idea is taking our power back into realizing we have the power to heal ourselves physically, mentally, and spiritually, and it has to do with our thinking. And as long as we're handing that power to an outside source, then we're not addressing the initial problem. Now, I'm not going to say that we don't need help from outside sources. Teachers, everything else are wonderful um, guides on our path to wholeness. But that path should be leading to more independence, more self-empowerment, uh, more uh, self uh, responsibility, not more dependence on that teacher or that healer or that person or more dependence on that pill or that outside source, whoever it is. It should be leading us to a path of independence, spiritual independence. And if it's not, 
that's when I really question what's happening in the world. When I see what's happening in the medical system, what's happening in the school system, what's happening in the governmental system, it's leading more and more to dependence on outside sources, outside technology, outside pharma, whatever you want to call it. And it's not leading us to taking our power back, which really, I believe, is the Christ message that Christ within you, the hope of glory, this is everything that your life possibilities and potential come back to. That's fundamentally, you know, the concept around that. Well, I, I love it. And, you know, for me, when I talk to people about spiritual healing, I often say one basic statement one way or another, which is when you remove spiritual healing and the demonstration of truth from new thought, that you have a good progressive liberal theology with no teeth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not knocking uh, progressive liberal theology. Let me just be clear when I say that, like Unitarians and things of that nature. What I am saying is that uh, there should be power that goes along with the message. When you recognize that there's a wholeness within you, that something's radically right about you, mm-hmm. that that you are made in the image and likeness of God, what does that look like? And I think that that message is so distinctive that when it's when it is proclaimed, people pause and pay attention. Uh, Reverend Shad, I just uh, officiated a, a, a funeral on Saturday, and okay. uh, the major, you know, the overwhelming majority of the people that were in attendance were not New Thought, did not know anything about Christian metaphysics, and I just decided using Scripture as a base mm-hmm. to teach Christian metaphysics at the funeral. You know, mm-hmm. I, I talked about the divinity, about purpose, about mission, about, you know, soul choice and, and all of those things. And, you know, what God has placed in you, gifts, talents, abilities, et cetera. And person after person just kept coming up to me, saying to me how impactful the message was. Because I just taught a pure new thought message. I wasn't controversial getting up telling people, you know. We teach that heaven is a state of mind and we teach hell is a state of mind and whatever. But when you right. teach it the right way, people accept it. And I got an email later from one of the family members telling me that I was the talk of the town at the reception after the we went to the cemetery. Okay. And several people were going to come to the church just because they like what I said. I, and what I was saying was really tied into the principles of spiritual healing, because what I was trying to show was, uh, you know, Jeremiah chapter one, verses four and five, you know, before I formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Genesis mm-hmm. chapter one, verses 26 to 27, being made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, John four twenty four, God is spirit, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So if you're made in the image and likeness of God. Then the God, the you that God knew before you were formed in your mother's womb was spirit. Now right. let's take a base from there. And mm-hmm. it changed the perception of people. So I think when you bring back to the forefront the healing principles that built unity, that built religious science, that built divine science, that built UFBL, that built mm-hmm. the independence, uh, it makes a difference because it lets people know that. It's not about only the information. It's about the transformation. Right. The funeral, you did the memorial service that people inherently think resonate with this message that we have to share today. 
And so when they hear it, they feel like, yes, that makes sense. That, that, that resonates as true for me. And what we're experiencing in the world today in so many different ways is people feeling powerless, powerless to take care of their own health, have a, a medical system, and they have insurance companies that are so expensive, they can't afford to even take care of their basic health needs, powerless to take care of their food needs, uh, social needs, all these things. They're feeling powerless. And then when we come with a message that says, the power actually always was inside of you. And if you can tap into that power, then you can start transforming your life, whether it be health, whether it be through social action, whatever, whatever it be. But that the idea, the fundamental idea that we have the power within us, we don't have to have some other source, you know, get it to us, give it to us, or give us access to it. It is within us. That completely shifts your perspective on what's happening in the world. It completely shifts your opportunities in the world. And then you start talking about your potential. And we spend so much talking about our flaws and our brokenness. When you start talking about your potential, what you were designed to do, what you were inherently supposed to be able to do, the greater works are, are even greater, as Jesus was talking about, our potential. Now we go, okay, I recognize this power. Now, what could I do with it if I really tapped into it? That, I think, is the exciting part people hear in our message is that it's not a dead end or something you have to mm -hmm. wait for until you die. It's right now, and I see my potential, and I can start unfolding it in this moment. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, you know, it might be somebody out there that's listening uh, and in need of a spiritual slash mental healing. What would be some of the, you know, guidelines or techniques that you would give them to be able to tap into the power that already resides within them? I think first and foremost, fundamentally, the easiest thing to do is to start shutting down the channels information that are telling you you're broken, that you're sick, that you're not loved, that the world is a dangerous and broken place. And you look at the, the news media that's pumping information to our head all day long about the next thing to be terrified of, the kind of books and magazines we're reading, the movies we're watching, and the relationships we have around us. All those things. Uh, fundamentally have been designed by society around this concept that we are broken. Something else has to fix us or make us better. And as long as that information just keeps coming in, it's really hard to rise above that. So really, before you even get into Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, before you get into Johnny Coleman, all the incredible messages they had to take this power back, you have to stop the nonsense that's pushing you down. Every single day, come into your consciousness that's pushing you down. You can start moving some of that information out of the way. You'll start clearing your own consciousness to start recognizing who it is. Then you add books from the great teachers like Eric Butterworth and Katie and all the greats in New Thought. Now your mind is ready to receive and to activate those concepts. But sometimes we think, you know, I could do enough prayer and still listen to all the negativity, the news and the media, and I'll be fine. I don't believe that. I think you've really got to start clearing your consciousness to create a pathway for these results to happen. And it's something that anybody can do. It doesn't matter what faith you're in. To start clearing out some of that garbage that's being pushed into your consciousness so it can start doing what it was designed to do, which is the flow. But this information just blocks that flow. It just creates a dam in your consciousness so that you're always feeling broken and sick and looking for the next negative thing. The positivity within you is trying to get out and move forward. But if it's always being crammed with negativity, it's just, you know, it's a, a, it's a law of numbers. You know, it's a percentages. 99%, you know, negativity coming in and garbage. Well, that 1% is not going to win in the end. You got to start evening out that ratio. And 
letting that positivity reign and that truth of your being start to gain traction. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, many times when I, uh, I'm working with somebody who, who reaches out for healing, I normally give them a real simple process, one which requires immersion. I tell everyone how I work with the healing in 1993 was immersion. So I don't know any other method other than all in because mm -hmm. you have to treat your life like your life depends on it. <laughs> you know, we say we use the term, but we really don't acknowledge what the term means. Right. Do it like your life depends on it because it does. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, I, you know, I'll get people. OK, every morning, every evening, listen to this guided meditation. Read, you know, you know, read this book read so many pages a day, you know, listen to this. What I'm trying to do is just break the cycle. You know, I call it disrupt. I think you would like get rid of it. Just, you got to disrupt the pattern that's showing mm -hmm. up all the time because the habitual thinking is producing certain results. And it's right. just kind of funny. I've been listening a lot. And I, I've known about it for years. And I had the books, but I've just been listening a lot lately to Dr. Bruce Lipton, who wrote the biology of belief. Mm -hmm. and just listening to him, almost every time I listen to a lecture of his or some YouTube video, I'm literally reminded of something that Charles Fillmore wrote or Myrtle, but primarily Charles because he was the writer about mm -hmm. the electricity in the cells, the positive and negative pulse, the intelligence in every cell of the body. And, you know, it, it, it's saying the same thing, habitual thinking. How does the, how does the mind learn through repetition? You know, uh, you know, the states of mind that, you know, first when you wake up and before you go to sleep and the, the brainwave level that you're on, all of these things were being taught, maybe not with the scientific language, but we're being taught by Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, Ernest Holmes, Nona Brooks, Melinda Kramer, you know, all the way up through, you know, the more modern people, the Joseph Murphy, mm -hmm. I mean, modern now, Joseph Murphy's, the Joe Goldsmith, the Johnny Coleman's, uh, up until us now. It's the right. same conversation, right. but, and, and I think that's a part of it that's so important because uh, as much as, and I think one of the things he said I thought was beautiful was as much as we talk about the placebo, and he mentioned a lot, I know you have a lot of conversation about the placebo. Mm -hmm. He also talked about what people don't talk about, doctors don't talk about, but no, mm -hmm. effect of negative thinking on the health of the body and how mm -hmm. negative thinking literally affects the immune system. And he said, literally, I was on the treadmill last night at the gym. And on it, he said, to paraphrase, you already have the, the organisms and the parasites and, the, and everything in your bloodstream already. I can take a blood sample and it's all there already. The issue is, is your body handling it or not? And one of the primary factors for the reason why your body is not handling what shows up potentially is your thoughts. This mm -hmm. is a medical doctor who taught other doctors. And this is a conversation that's not happening. It's not happening in churches. It's not happening in our education, uh, uh, whether it's elementary, high school, or college. It's not happening. And, and let, definitely at the doctor's office, that the mind is the genesis of all of these experiences. And we don't want to accept it either through choice or the lack of 
using our agency and we allow the default program of the world to present to us and we accept it. I mean, allow you please. Yeah, then think about uh, when you multiply that times entire community thinking the same way or having the same fear, then you multiply that times entire country having the same fear, and then you multiply it times entire world having the same fear. Now that we're globalized, we have an even greater responsibility to think about the collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. Because we are affected by the consciousness around us, and the subconscious and the passive consciousness. All these things are affecting us. So it is our consciousness and it's the consciousness going around us. <clears throat> so when you have people in leadership positions, like the head of pharmaceutical organizations and, and people in government leadership positions, uh, you would really hope that they have an awareness of what they say and how it affects not just the individual consciousness that now has to deal with what they heard, but the entire collective consciousness that buys into that. And so much of what's happening today is rallied by fear. They are motivating by fear, and, you know, all different walks of life. Mm-hmm. And they're rallying by fear. Now you have billions and hundreds of millions of people motivated by fear, focused on a fear. What does that do to the body? Well, we know fundamentally, fear starts to shut down the immune system. So fear starts to you know, shut down the cells and you start to have illness entering the body. And now we're using that as a motivational tool across all consciousness. And that's a large concern. And that's also part of how much are you going to allow yourself to be a part of this system that doesn't understand these basic concepts of mind-body that are now just blasting out fear. You know, the, the commercials we have in between the television shows, even if it's a good show we're watching, all of a sudden this commercial comes in and says, do you have this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem? And so it's fear, it's fear, it's fear, it's fear. And you're sitting there and you're going, why don't I feel good tomorrow morning? Well, you were packing yourself fear, full of fear yesterday. You know, what do you think is the end result? So there is a great opportunity, though. And there are medical doctors and there's nature paths that are starting to see and recognize this opportunity to say, instead of trying to show you how you're broken and ill, we really start to focus on how you can make yourself well, regardless of what's happening. And focus on, like you're saying, how do we shift the consciousness? How do we supplement the body and be able to do what it already knows how to do naturally, which is deal with these things that are around us all the time? It's that when we've, we've bought into this outside system that says we're broken and all of a sudden we're eating the food from that system, taking the medication from that system, listening to the airways from that system, our body became, becomes what they've told us it is. But inversely, we can shift that, put it in reverse and say, you know what? If I'm listening to things that are telling me I'm whole, and if I'm eating things that are more whole, and I'm supplementing with things that are more whole, my body is also going to react and become part of that system. And it's really two different paradigms we can look at and say, well, which one do I want to be a part of? One that's constantly trying to convince me I'm broken, ill, or one that's constantly trying to lift me up and saying I'm already whole, I just have to un- unveil my wholeness. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to head in the other direction because inherently it's going to cost a lot less because I won't be in the hospital as much. I won't be depressed as much, and, you know, and just on and on and on. That there's, but there really is sort of two worlds existing right now. The world of you're going to have to have some sort of outside entity to, to make you least survive, and the world of self-care, that I yeah. have the power within me, and I'm going to surround myself with people that agree with me that we can heal ourselves. And those two worlds are really looking at each other right now and saying, you know, you're both wrong. But there's a potential to say, you know, maybe we could come to terms and work with each other and create a new, a new earth that has this consciousness part of it. But right that. now, I see that they're very much at odds looking at each other saying, you're wrong, you're wrong. Like, no, 
there's some good things, but we have to work together to go there. We can't just sit here telling each other that we're wrong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with Reverend Shad. And we are going to break this stuff down. We have, I have more great questions and you can see he's in the flow. So we're going to make sure that you get what you need to help you understand what is unity and why it is important to the world. We'll be right back with Truth Transform. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. Uh, Reverend Shad, before we get back to the questions, I want to make sure that people can get in contact with you and your organization. Can you let people know how to get in contact with Unity Worldwide Ministries if they want to contact your office? Uh, what do they need to do if they want if, if they are hearing this for the first time and they want to get involved with the Unity Movement or, or Unity Church? Yeah, so our, our primary website uh, is unity.org. Pretty straightforward. And then uh, for the organization, we have two organizations in Unity that support our movement. Uh, For our specific website, if you're interested in uh, becoming a Unity leader, getting ordained, becoming a credentialed uh, licensed teacher, anything along a leadership path or to find a ministry, uh, unityworldwideministries.org. Unityworldwideministries.org, you'll find us all there. And uh, you'll find links to contact us, reach out to the staff. Uh, we have tons of stuff going on, but either one of those websites you can find us. You can find us uh, online, same locations and social media platforms, and we're here for you. All right, all right. Is there anything going on right now with with the organization or organizations that we need to know about right now? Uh, well, just uh, I myself have put together a workshop called the Power of Focused Ministry, and it's a workshop I do specifically for people in ministry, church leadership. That could be the, the minister or the uh, spiritual leader, the teachers, the youth and family leaders, the board trustees, the volunteers, people that are in leadership positions of the ministry itself, uh, to really start bringing us back to the focus in ministry that makes it enjoyable, that makes it easier to do, that makes it more successful, and actually more impactful on people that are part of that ministry. I travel around giving that, that workshop, and uh, if you go to our website, worldwideministry.org, you can just search for the Power of Focus Ministry, and you can find it there. And we've got a list of all the dates where we're coming up next to the different areas throughout the country. Uh, and eventually throughout the world, we want to get out there and see our ministries around the world as well. Uh, but any, any leadership and new thought, want to support all of us as one giant family. And I think it's a, a impactful message going on that it's really transforming how people are doing ministry. And we're seeing hope, seeing more smiles on the ministers' faces that have done this seeing them being able to release some things that take a lot of stress and uh, weight off their backs. So that's a big focus for my wife and I right now as we put this workshop together and we've been traveling it. Well, that's beautiful, beautiful. So 
I want to talk a little bit about the Bible and and UFBL. When I was coming up, we were always taught, and we still say, well, hope hopefully it's being said across the board. But we were always taught the Bible is our primary text. Lessons and truth is our secondary text. That was always the general rule. You know, Bible metaphysically interpreted, lessons and truth is the foundation and, and quote unquote, we're Fillmorean. In other words, mm-hmm. the teachings of Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, the unity base is our base. Even if we didn't call it unity, it was still the base. Right. So, um, so uh, just like any other movement, there are people who are more pro-Bible than others in our movement, no different, even though it's our primary text. How is the um, Bible still relevant in new thought and unity? Uh, and does it need to be? I think, uh, I, I think it needs to be. I think it's, a, as I said before, sort of a time for healing and clarification around the Bible. And, uh, and allowing people to have a relationship. I mean, you're talking hundreds of millions of people have had a relationship with the Bible, uh, either directly or indirectly throughout time. Billions of people throughout time mm-hmm. had a relationship with this text. Uh, and instead of just saying, all right, well, people have interpreted it in a way that's been harmful or has been misleading, let's just throw it all out. I think more than ever, it's time to really dive into it and say, no, let's get back to what message was actually being said here on a deep level. There's a great opportunity here for healing. If we don't do the healing around the work, then people keep walking around with the baggage, with mm-hmm. the, the harm, with the shadow, whatever you want to call it. So there's a great opportunity for healing in the world today and to reimagine the Bible in the same way that Unity's been doing since the 1890s. But it's a reimagining for the rest of the world that hasn't really been exposed to our perception, our understanding, and our metaphysics of the Bible. So I think it's an awesome opportunity for uh, UFBL, for unity that really have this deep root in the Bible and the way we approach it to get that out to the world as an opportunity for healing, but also to recognize that this incredible message has been around for thousands of years. And this form of Christianity that we're doing is incredibly impactful, again, for bringing your power back with the talked about, for healing your own body, for having a direct relationship with God without this intermediary, for having heaven on earth right now, not having to wait till you die. So all of that, yes, I think it's incredibly relevant. I think it's an awesome time to be diving into it. In terms of uh, its place in unity, there's been shifts in unity over time where I'll, I say we recognize, you know, as unity, we recognize all paths to God, that there are many paths to God. We don't claim that we have the only path. And in that recognition, ministers are allowed to look at Buddhism and add a little bit of that to their sermon on Sunday, their talk, and they'll look at Sifuism, or look at self-realization, or to look at uh, many of the other faiths and recognize this same message that's going on when you really get to the deep core, such as the golden rule that's in basically every faith we see. What we found is that uh, many factors played into it, but a minister might get fascinated with one of those paths, start heading in that direction, or it might be any element in the church that did that. And now they're doing a little bit more Buddhism than they are doing Fillmore. And they're doing a little bit less Fillmore, a little bit more Buddhism, whatever it might be. Or it might be uh, an element in the church itself, the congregation, that they start becoming more interested in Buddhism. Instead of us saying, you know, that's great, but here we do unity. It's allowed us to push our ministries in different directions over time. So the school itself is still, we're still teaching the Bible, still teaching lessons and truth. Those are our core texts. But over time, 
we've uh, we've broadened what's being taught in our ministries. And for me, I think it's a time to reimagine and return to our roots in unity, to get back to what we do well, what we have really that no other denomination has, except our sister organization, which you work with, that getting back to those roots, to that base, I, f- I really believe people are looking for that today. And that's our opportunity for growth. And that's our opportunity for great impact because so many people have had relationship with the Bible. They're looking for it to be addressed consciously or subconsciously. They may not even know it, but that healing, that reimagined understanding of what's going on there, I think is an incredible opportunity. So we are making an effort to get back to our roots, to our foundation. We're not there to police people to say, you can't talk about Buddhism, you can't talk about Sifuism, you can't talk about these things. But as you do it, relate it back to the Bible, relate it back to our roots, relate it back to our film or teachings so that we don't get off track, we don't confuse people about what's going on in our ministries. And there's an awesome opportunity there, um, but it's just a time for clarification, reimagining and focusing. Yeah, I think uh, when we were in Unity Village, you said something like uh, unity is a thing. (laughs) Right. You know, it doesn't have to be everything. Right. But it is a thing. And it's okay to say that. It's a thing. Right. What without disrespecting anybody else's way. Uh Neil Donald Walsh wrote many uh years ago, my way is not the best way, it's just another way. Right. And I so that's my process when I when people talk to me about beliefs. It's my way. Okay, mm-hmm. but but my way, my way and my process should be honored. And I actually had this conversation <laughs> many years ago uh, with some people and uh, that uh, we're talking about, you know, the, you know, is it, is it, is, you know, what we integrate into new thought. Mm-hmm. And I just said to, to them, if you go to a Catholic church, you should expect Catholicism. Mm-hmm. You should expect math. You should expect priests. You should expect none. If you go to a Baptist church, missionary Baptist church, you should expect heavy, heavy, heavy fundamentalist biblical teaching. Mm-hmm. When you show up to a New Thought Christian church or a New Thought church, because of, of my, my opinion is all of New Thought originally was Christian metaphysics. I, I don't think that can even be argued. It doesn't mean that has to be the truth for someone now. Mm-hmm. But that's what Ernest Holmes taught Christian metaphysics. Melinda Kramer taught Christian metaphysics. The Fillmore's taught Christian metaphysics. We start talking about the founders of the movements. They mm-hmm. all taught Christian metaphysics. Um, I'm just simply saying when people show up to our centers, what should they expect to hear? And I think that it's okay to have that expectation without making anybody wrong. Right. When you show up, if you're not talking the new thought talk, then what are you really talking about? I tell people, like, look, if you can't teach what we believe in integrity, you should make the choice to do something else instead of trying to automatically tell me, well, you all need to do something else. Like, no, we're clear. That's why I don't trip when people say, well, you know, I tried to tell that Baptist church they needed to do whatever. I'm like, no, not really. Right. Just go just go where your tribe is and right. let that tribe worship the way they want to worship. 
without you making them be something other than what they are choosing to show up to be. I think that's the hard part for people in today's world to wrap their head around is you can be a thing without having any, any issue with all the other things. Right. You can, you can celebrate what you are without saying that anything else is less than what you are. Because the world is so polarized, it's like, well, if I stand on one side, then there's another side. Well, I don't want to stand on one side because that means there's another side. Mm-hmm. No, it's about celebrating all the diverse ways we express God. And unity has a specific way we do that. Right. We can still honor all these other ways and say, yeah, there's wonderful ways. There's transcendental meditation. And they do that really well. We don't have to try to teach that also. Right. Let them teach that. If that's what you're looking for, go to the source. Go get transcendental meditation from them. But like you said, I, I say unity is a thing. And when it stops being a thing, then I don't have a reason for being here. I'm here because I believe it is a thing and it has something special to offer. And I think we've hurt ourselves over time by not standing in what we are and being and understanding what we are and letting people know what we are. Because they're looking for what we have, but if we're not being clear about what we have to offer, and we're offering just a little bit of everything, they can't find us because we just disappear in the melting pot of all the various things that are unity adjacent or new thought adjacent, kind of disappear in that fog. But we stand and say, this is what we do. We teach the Fillmore's, we teach Bible metaphysics, we teach 12 powers, all these things that are specific to us. If you resonate with it, great. Then be a part of the thing that we've got going on. If you don't, there's no shame whatsoever. Go find the thing you resonate with. But we don't have to try to be that also to accommodate you coming to our church or center. We can say, hey, transcendental meditation rocks at that. Go find a a center that does that or a space that does that or teach that does that. We don't have to try to teach that also. I think that's what's been our hard part is we is standing in and so our trueness so much of can say, you'll be better served by what you're looking for over there. We've been afraid to invite people to actually exit, not to saying you're not welcome here, but what you're looking for is actually done better over there. There's a Buddhist teacher, teacher, a mm-hmm. temple that does a way better job teaching Buddhism than I do. So go there and you'll be better served than me trying to also teach Buddhism here in unity. That's where I think we've struggled in the past is being able to say, we are a thing. Other people have a thing. We'll actually recommend you to go find that. Because we mm-hmm. want you to be on your path that resonates with you instead of us trying to accommodate all the different ideologies that show up. Uh, I spoke to a congregant recently as a ministry, and uh, he saw a cross up on the wall at a unity church. And he said, you know, I take real issue with that. I said, well, why? And he's like, well, what it stands for. And I said, well, what does it stand for? And he's like, the crucifixion and Jesus and the blood and this, that, and the other thing. And I said, uh, it's not what it stands for for me. For me, it's the intersection of spirituality and physicality. It's the representation mm-hmm. of me. That's what it represents to me. I said, so do you feel like you probably have a perception of what that is that you might be bringing with you into the space? Mm-hmm. Said, well, yeah, I guess so. And I said, do you feel some hurt around that? He says, yeah, I, I was really damaged by my church experience. I said, do you think that this space should adjust what it is for you who's brought damage into this space? And I. I knew him a little bit. He was very forward, so I, I was going there with him. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was very honest. He said, you know, you're right. No, I probably shouldn't bring my damage into space. And I said, and wouldn't it be great if this space was set up to help you heal that? So that as you come into this space, you're transitioning to a new way of being and a new way of seeing that doesn't just say, 
you know, you're welcome here as you are. And now you try to push people away from the cross, whatever that ministry might be focused on. They say, we welcome you as you are. And we're going to help you heal anything that you might be bringing with you. So you come as a whole person in this experience that's not triggered by maybe some iconography or everything else you're seeing in here, that you'll understand it from our perspective. And he's like, wow, that would be really great. And that process, I think we just lacked a little bit, is really healing people from their past so they don't drag that into the present ministry experience they're coming into. Yes. And I think that also that means that ministers and teachers need to do the same thing. Because I think one of the ways in which that happens is because we do teach the law of mind action, that those people, <laughs> leaders many times are drawing people who have those same unresolved issues into their experience. And instead of healing together, it just creates conflict and drama. Right. That's very unconscious and it damages the healing space because people are, their actions are being led by the fear and the pain versus mm-hmm. the love and understanding. And it, it does make a difference. I can remember, you know, you know, uh, Johnny Coleman saying many times, you know, once the church reached the size that it reached, she had to continually readdress issues because people mm-hmm. had assumptions, write letters and all of those things. And she would just get on the platform and tell people probably every three or four months, if you don't like what we're doing here, I suggest you go where you came from or find somewhere else and God will send 10 other people to replace you. And mm-hmm. she would say it so boldly. She's inviting people out of the church. No, she's not. She's saying, and she would back it up. This is a new thought Christian ministry. We mm-hmm. do things based upon the new thought way. And I'm not changing what God gave me to do because it makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. This isn't for you. Go where you need to go. Right. Don't try to change what we do here. And I, and I know for some people, like, oh, my God, that's so rigid. That's not open. It's not this. And it's the difference between being open, I think. And I know I want to be respectful of your time. I'm looking at the clock now. <laughs> uh, being, uh, being open to open at the top, as Ernest Holmes would say, which mm-hmm. I do believe in completely. Mm-hmm. And then seeking to turn a new thought church into a Buddhist temple, a Hindu temple, a Baptist, a Catholic, or whatever a person came from. And uh, I never forget years ago, um, and we can wrap, start wrapping up. Rick, I was at a Pastor Rick Warren conference in California. This was 2001. Mm-hmm. And he said that the reason why Saddleback grew, and he's a Baptist minister, um, and I know in, in many progressive and new thought spaces, he's, he has various levels of uh, likability. I'll just leave it at that. Well said. <laughs> but, what he, but what he said, you know, and Johnny Coleman took us there because he wanted to learn about church growth. He's like, take what you need from wherever you can get it to help mm-hmm. you do what you do. So we were there, and he said that one of the reasons why his church grew so quickly, because he decided who left. He said, when I tried to uh, please everybody, right. I pleased no one because the people mm-hmm. who were really with me were frustrated with these people who were always trying to change things and the people who always wanted to change things and do things like their old church. Mm-hmm. Those people were never happy enough. So he said, I left, I started losing the most committed people mm-hmm. to, the, to the message. He said, when he started to take a stand on inviting people away, to go find what resonated with their souls, his ministry exploded. It's possible that the reason why so many New Thought churches struggle is because we're not willing to be authentically us. 
Right. And to say no. Yeah. Say that beautiful idea, wonderful suggestion, but we don't do that here. I was talking to a congregant recently and they said, they kept saying the Unitarian Universalists do this so well. I wish we could do this. Unitarian Universalists do this. And there's a Unitarian Universalist center like three blocks down. Yeah. They're doing all that so well in your perspective. I think you'd resonate being there. Mm-hmm. You know, but unity does things really well as well as well. Let's do that. And you're totally welcome here. But if you're trying to turn us into something that you had before or that you think is better, why? Go be a part of that if that's what you're looking for. Not saying you're not welcome here. It's just we're not going to change what this is to try to fit what you think is better when you could go to what's better. And that conversation, I agree with you. We have been able to stand in our truth and say, this is what we do and we do well. And there's other things that are great and you can go be a part of that. But we're not going to try to accommodate everyone's taste for something else in this one place. It's impossible. We can only do what we do well, and that's what we're going to focus on. Again, you don't have to be here. We have no shame about you going somewhere else. Yeah, and we can never be the best of we can never be the best of anything pretending to be somebody else. Right. If we have our lane and we say, okay, these are the things we focus on, and we're going to laser beam focus on what we do best mm-hmm. without trying to be a jack of all trades and master of none. I think it makes a difference. Uh, you know, and, and the ministries that I've seen in new thought is specifically that focused on what they do best mm-hmm. have always prospered. But, you know, when we try to be the motivational people and we try to be the, you know, talk about stuff that we really don't, you know, we heard one lecture on quantum physics and all of a sudden right. we're scientists and, you know, things of that nature. In our movement, you know, we, we want to grab, and I, you know, I wanted to talk about some of the new agey stuff, but I'm really out of time. Uh, where, again, this all works and it's all beautiful, but mm-hmm. can new thought stand on its own? That's the question that I, I present to leaders over and over again. Can new thought stand on its own? And if it can, that's what we should be promoting. And if it can't, we all need to recant, apologize, put this thing down and go find something that works. <laughs> well, I would say I think it only can stand on its own yeah. if it knows who it is. Right, right. Absolutely. If it doesn't know who it is, it'll never stand on its own and it will vanish. And yeah. that's the reality right now. If we, if we can't stand on our, our roots and our foundation, I think we will vanish in the coming decade. Well, that was uh, if actually, we can't claim that. Yeah. Actually, actually, what Reverend uh, Mary Tumpkin used to say quite often that New Thought has become the fodder for other religious movements. And once people take our best elements and then they make it muddy enough that people can't differentiate between us, you know, when people tell me, oh, you know, and I'm just saying names, I'm not disrespecting them. Oh, T.D. Jakes or Creflo Dollars, New Thought or Joel Osteen's. No, they're not. Mm-hmm. They've taken elements of what we do. And it's great if they resonate with you, follow that. Mm-hmm. But don't call it new thought. Just because right. a person says consciousness does not mean they're new thought. Like, let's stop playing and know what your thing is. And again, allow it to stand on its own because the power right. is in the demonstration. Right. right. We're going to have to stop here. Um, one, you know, because I want to respect your time and I gave you a certain timeline. And two, 
I totally have a lunch appointment. I have to meet with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, let's do this again sometime. Yeah, so we're going to have to invite you back because I have a, a, a list of questions I still want to ask. So I'll be reaching out to you and your wife. Tell her okay. I said hello. And right. uh, so we can finish this conversation down the road because I do think that this is an important conversation in our movement right now if yes. we wanted to live in a way that can help the world shift. I believe that this message that we have been become caretakers of mm-hmm. and ambassadors of is is a primary message that I believe can help unify the world because of its baseline theology of an absolute good God and the the oneness of all humanity. Right. And when we put that with the understanding of divine law and how consciousness shows up as demonstration, it can sh- help the world sh- see why things are showing up the way they show up. So I'm right. a big believer in what you're you're doing with you and your work. You have an ally in me, without a shadow of a doubt. So, awesome. so with that, we're going to wrap up. Listeners, thank you so much for listening to Truth Transforms, and I'll be with you again next week. God bless. Take care. All right. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan-Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on The Kelly Sullivan-Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again. Don't take your dreams lying down.